morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue. We left off on 56a, fourth line from the top, and we're dedicating the Shir, the Shama, Yitzhak Yaakov, and Yudah Lev. Shama should have an Aliyah. This is your false brother. Younger brother. Okay. was sitting before That when the husband commits supplementary income for his wife, funds for his wife, his intent was only if they're going to complete the marriage. But if they get divorced, or he becomes a widow, after the betrothal, he never intended. So then she only gets the basics of it, the hundred, the two hundred, but not, not the supplement. So she don't get the condom. Uh, the law followed of Lazar ben Azariah. So he said to him, Rabbi Yana, said to Rabbi Hanino, he said, Puk, go out. Go out and read your verse outside. Levada, outside. Because it's not correct. The law does not follow the Blasphemous We follow the rabbis. That, that even the supplement, even, uh, is even if she divorced or a widow from the betrothal, she also gets, she gets the entire ksuba, not just 100 and 200, but even, even the, uh, the supplement, the kando. <laughs> he said the Lord does follow Rabbi Yitzhak Nazariah. Some say it means Rav. Rav says it means Rav. Taisus argues, how could you say it's Rav? Remember before we had an argument in Rav and Rav Nassim? One said the law follows our blood and was One said it didn't. You mother question who, who says who? We're not sure. What do you mean who says who? Here it says clearly, saying clearly in the name of Rav, that the Allah is Mishum Rabbeinu. Rav, Rav Shabababal, Rabbeinu Shabababal, which is Rav, that the law follows our blood and So how could the mother have a doubt who says who? Therefore, Taisu says, no, here Rav, Rabbeinu was referring to Rabbi HaKadosh. Rabbi Huda HaKadosh. Rabbi Yehuda, Anasi, not uh, not Rab. According to Taisus, Rabbi Yitzchok, but Avdimi was a student of Rabbi. According to Rashi, Rabbi Yitzchok, but Avdimi was a student of Rab. Okay. I'm Rab Nachman. Bama Shmuel said the name of Shmuel. Allah Rab Lazar ben Azariah. But Rab Nachman did they? Rab Nachman himself disagrees with his teacher. Rab Shmuel said the law father of Lazar. Rab Nachman holds ain't Allah Rab Lazar ben Azariah. Nardoi and the Academy of Nardoi, Mishmed Rav Nachman Amri, said in the name of Rav Nachman, Yes, Allah, Rav Lazar ben Azari. They said in his name that the law does follow Rav Lazar ben Azari. Even though Rav Lazar ben Nachman cursed and said, Whoever followed Rav Lazar ben Azari, such and such happened to him, he cursed him. Nevertheless, Allah of The bottom line is the law follows Rabbi Nazaria. Then those Rabbi Nachman himself says the law. At the end of the day, the law follows. Yeah, Rabbi Lazar Nazaria. The seventeen-year-old kid, huh? 
right? Yeah. yeah. Two different Rab Nachmans. Oh, that's no, there's Rab Nachman. Rab Nachman. They quoted the, the Academy of Nadoi who quoted Rab Nachman by Yaakov. He says the law follows. We just said Rab Nachman says the law does not follow. Which Rab Nachman himself holds the law does not follow. That's referring to Rab Nachman by Abba, and he cursed any judge who would rule according to Rab Lozman. But nevertheless, but we disregard his opinion because the Allah does follow Rabbi Lozman Azari and the conclusion of all these discussions is the Gemara concludes by Allah, practically, in practice, we do follow Rabbi Lozman Azari that we don't, she doesn't get the supplement uh, of the Ksuva if the marriage was never complete. Okay. What if she entered the chuppah? So the marriage was completed, but they, they never consummated the marriage. They were never intimate yet. And then the husband died. On the way home, the husband died. Right after the wedding, he collapsed. Or divorced her. <laughs> right after the chuppah. He divorced her right then and there. He had his party, and then he divorced her. Okay. Uh, he danced like mad and he divorced her. <laughs> he got married before he was intimate with her. He already divorced her. Oh, he already didn't like her. Okay. So what happened? Mao, what's the halach? Does the law follow the Abulazim or not? When Abulazim Nazari says the marriage has to be complete, it means the marriage has to be consummated or just entering into the chuppah enough. Chuppa for the love of the chuppah. Because she agreed to enter into the chuppah and she's, she's entering into the house and she's completing the marriage, he gives her everything. Okay, you know, as Achashverosh told Esther, till half of the kingdom is yours. Right, whatever you want, whatever, whatever you want, want. Just out of the affection and the love, it's already, he already gives it. No, it's all, the bottom line is, it's the intimacy. Everything in the wedding, the public ceremony, that's just the introduction. The main ceremony is when everyone goes home and the husband and wife are left alone. That's the real ceremony. So only then, only then does he give her everything, whatever he promised. So he said, she says, okay, so Tashma, I'll bring you a proof. That Abelazabinazari's reason is because Laila Rishon, the reason why he committed all this money is to her, all these supplemental money to her, is because of the love of intimacy of the first night, the affection of the first night. Okay, so if you're going to say that it's the affection of the chupa, the fact that she agrees to stand under the chupa with him. That's what he says the first night. But if the, the, the whole, the criteria is, it's because of the intimacy. So it's only if it's the first night, what difference does it make? And what if they're not intimate till the second night? Whenever it takes place. What difference does it make? If it's the chuppah, that's what he means. The first night, it means the night of the chuppah. For that alone, the night, the end of the chup is always the first night. There's only a first night. <laughs> but if you're going to say it's, it's dependent on intimacy, sometimes it's not the first night. You know, right in the beginning of Brachas, that Chasen is potter to read Shema. Um, until, until, from Chasen, until, 
until you know, they get married on Wednesday, until Mitzvah Shabbos, if, if, they, if they weren't intimate yet until Mitzvah Shabbos. So it's possible they weren't intimate yet until Mitzvah Shabbos. He was dehydrated, too exhausted, you know, he wasn't feeling well. I mean, anything could happen. So what, why the emphasis of Belay Ladishan? What, what difference does it make? Whenever they're intimate, that's when she acquires all the supplemental... Vela So what's the word about Vela So you want to say that it's the chupa that acquires. Chupa Belay Lisa Bimamalash. What do you mean the first night? And what if the marriage is during the day? What does have to do with the night? On the contrary, the night means what happens at night. The night is they're intimate at night. Surely he's referring to the intimacy. They still have to bring the cat. They don't have to bring the cat. Sure. says, no, according to you, you're saying you can only be intimate at night. There's no intimacy. Rav says, yes, it's not modest. It's not modest to be intimate in, 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 uh, during the day with the lights on. But if he works nights... Night's on. Oh, so yeah, if it's not possible, that's what he says. Exactly. So that's what he says. You just, you just uh, cover the curtains, cover the windows, and turn it into night. As long as it's dark, it doesn't matter. It's not the day and night. Exactly. So again, so why at night? The intimacy is not associated necessarily with night. Well, holy cash, no, that's not a, that's not a question. The Bible is teaching us, by the way, at the proper time to be intimate at night when it's dark. Of course, technically you can make the day dark, and technically you can make the, the night light. You, you light a candle, but he, but he's teaching us that the way intimacy has to be has to be modest with the lights off. So he says, "So is also not a question." Since the purpose of the chuppe is it's going to climax and culminate in the consummation of the marriage, the intimacy. The Tan is telling us that usual, it's at night. Because they're going to have a chuppe in the morning and then they're going to wait till at night to be intimate. No, right from the wedding they go, they go and they're intimate. So that's why most chuppes are in the evening, at night, at the end of the day. But even you go oh, beer, it has to be intimacy, oh, consummating right. the marriage. Oh, okay. A, a, okay, a kiss right. is not enough. Being in the room alone is not enough. That 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 doesn't do it. Fourth night is appropriate. It doesn't prove one way or the other. It could be referring to chupa, or it could be referring to intimacy. Or it is a proof. Night would make sense. Night makes sense according either way, whether it's chupa, whether it's beer, because. The chuppah people is usually at night. Like yeah, people usually the chuppah is done in the evening because right after the wedding they're going to go and consummate the marriage, which is done at night. And, and, and intimacy is at night. But the question is first, why the first? Why the first night? That night. So since he says the first night, this proves that, that he's talking about the chuppah, not about the intimacy. Because intimacy it doesn't have to be the first night and it's not the first night, it's the second night. But the chuppah, means the night of the chuppah. There's only the first. There's always the first. First night of the marriage. The first night of the chuppah. Okay, so I guess that answers the question. That according to Rabbi Lozab and Azariah, according to Rabbi Lozab and Azariah, once the marriage is complete, once she agrees to stand under the chuppah, for that love, for that affection, he gives everything to her, whatever he promised. She acquires. Ravashi, Ravashi asks What if she entered the chup and then became a nida? Mawu. Im timsalei mechibas 
even if you're going to say that you tried, you established that it's out of the affection of standing under the chuppah that he commits and gives her all that, that supplemental money. But maybe only chuppah to chazi if it's a chuppah that will lead to the consummation of the marriage. But a chuppah that's not even, doesn't even have the potential to lead to intimacy because she became a nida. So she, they can't even be intimate if they want to. Maybe then he's not giving her all this. Perhaps there's no difference. The fact that she's willing to stand in the chuppah, he's ready to wait. It doesn't matter. Just the fact that she, a marriage is, is consensual. They both consent. And she has to want to enter into the relationship. And the fact that she willingly to go and to complete the marriage and to become his, his wife, for that alone, he says, I'm giving everything away. Even if, even if it's not leading to be, it's not even doesn't have the potential to consummate the marriage at this point. Doesn't matter. You must just take it. It's a good question. It stands. Let it stand. We don't know the answer to this. It doesn't take the money. The proof is on her. Prove it. You want to extract money from him or from his estate, the husband's estate. Prove it. We don't know the answer. Did he commit? Didn't he commit? So you can't. You can't. You can't extract the money. Other, all the Rishayim learn that there's no question. No one is questioning the validity of the chup. That it's a valid chup, even if it's a chup as nida. The Rambam, I think, is one of the only opinions that holds. No, chup is nida. Is not a kosher chup. Not a chup. You need another chup later. If it doesn't have the potential to lead to, to being to consummate the marriage, it's not a chuppah. What do you mean? Taking her into your house, you can't be intimate. And therefore, none of the marital obligations begin. It's not just a question of this issue whether she gets the supplemental uh, money that he committed to her in the ksuba. The question is, are they considered married at all? Is it? Is it going to the Rambam? We don't know. Take her. We don't know. It's a question. What remains with the question? It says in the Mishnah that if the husband wants, he can write for a virgin that, that he's committing 200 zoos and she can write like a receipt that I received 100. She didn't receive a dime, but as if she's saying, I forgive, I don't need the 200, I forgive you, I'll take half. Or it says, I received 100 in the case of a, of a widow, of a non-virgin, and she can write, I received 50. You only owe me 50. That's Rabbi Huda's opinion. Does Rabbi Huda hold that you write a receipt? What not? We learn the Mishnah. We learn the Baba Basra Mishapad, someone who paid a part, a part of his debt. Rabbi Huda says, Yachavir. You should take the original document, tear it up, and, and, and write a new document. Reflecting the new, the new debt, the new amount of the debt. Instead of leaving the original document, which could be abused, because the document says you owe a $300, and, and he paid 100 he's going to come collect the 300 So you're, force, you're forcing him to hold to write a receipt, and he has to hold on to the receipt. It's much simpler. There's no right. There's no document, so there's no there's no chance of abuse. Just tear up the document, write a new document. That you owe two hundred and period. Why should he have to be burdened to hold on a receipt to protect himself from your shenanigans? No, 
you don't have to substitute, you don't have to change the document. Keep the original document and just write a receipt. So if he comes to collect 300, he'll produce the receipt. I paid you already 100, and they only, only have a balance of 200. So, so over here also, why does he allow, why does he allow to write a receipt for a partial payment? He says, Yichtavle. The Buddha says, Ratsa Kaisav, he writes, he writes a, like a receipt that, that he can write 200 and she can write that, that she received half as if she received half so the argument is who, who should carry the burden the lender or the borrower according to Rabbi Yehuda the lender should, should have to write a new document according to Rabbi Yehuda no let the borrower have the burden let him walk around hold, hold on to the receipt if he wants to protect himself and fine but why should we burden the lender that he has to tear up a document, write a whole new document. Okay. So we're up to you. Also, if you write a new document, a, you lose the mortgage, you know, on any properties, because the mortgage, mortgageable properties only follows the date when the document was written. So here he has the old documents. Anything that was sold after the original document, he can collect from it. It comes time for the collection, the payment, and the, the, and the debtor has no money. So he just goes to the property that he sold. And he says, I'm sorry, my lien is ahead of your, of your, of your acquisition. But once you're going to change the document, now it's a new date. So now he can only collect from fields that were, that were sold after this new date. So he's, he's losing out. So why should, why should the burden be on the lender? He did you a favor and you're disadvantaging him? No. Yes, he says, the burden should be on the borrower. Keep the original document, the original date, and just get a receipt and hold on to the receipt and don't lose it. Teisu says, that, that's how it actually explains the argument. Teisu disagrees. Teisu says the Gemara and the conclusion over there says that, um, that in the replacement document, you write, you record the original date. You're right. That, and this and this date, the original date, it was a loan, and then he only write the new number, two hundred dollars instead of three hundred dollars. So, so he's not losing out. The lenders not losing out. So, what do you care? Let, 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 what, he's not losing out if you write a new document. Nevertheless, WAC holds better. Keep the original document. Let the debtor writer have a receipt. Hold on to the receipt, because then he'll have an incentive to pay quicker. Because he's worried, maybe he'll lose the receipt. You know, such a shlemiel is going to lose the receipt. So you know, he's afraid. So he'll pay his debt quicker. So it's for the advantage of the lender that keep the documents. He has a motivation. He has a fire burning. Let me pay this up as soon as possible, so I can tear up this document once and for all. So that's why that, that that's Abiyasev's opinion. So the question here, instead of writing a receipt that, uh, that she received partial payment, instead of having the bride write a receipt and the husband having a receipt that the wife received the original payment, wouldn't it make more sense rip up the ksuva and write a new ksuva? And only a hundred dollars that he only has is obligated to pay her a hundred dollars instead of instead of instead of two hundred. Mm-hmm. So the so the husband doesn't have to hold on to the receipt. I guess the husband has to hold on to the receipt. You know, if he divorces her, she'll come. She says it says in the ksuba two hundred. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he has to show receipt that she received a hundred, mm-hmm. as if she received a hundred. You know, she's forgiving a hundred. He's waving.
100 of the 200. Fine. But better, make it easier on the, on the husband. Rabbi Huda holds, rip up the, the, the and write a new document, write a new ksuba. So Rabbi Yesi, Rabbi Rabbi, Rabbi Yemi answers, We're talking about the receipt is contained in the ksuba. They write in the ksuva that the bride said in front, when they're writing the ksuva, they said the bride said in front of them, she's waving that she received half. So you don't have to write a separate receipt. Yes, yeah, so it's one document, so there's no worries. It's not, oh, maybe he's gonna, she's, she's going to produce the ksuva and, and the husband will have to pay her 200 when she forgave. No, it's written right in the ksuva. The witnesses signed on this whole story and everything. Abai gives a different answer. Really, I can tell you, no, you don't write the, the, the receipt in the ksuva. But there's a difference. There, where he paid, uh, he paid the part of the debt. So therefore, because there, Rabbi Huda doesn't allow him to, to write a receipt. Because he actually paid him. So so maybe Rabbi Huda is worried. Maybe he's gonna the receipt will be lost. and the lender will produce the star and will demand the full the full the full amount. What the and is gonna collect twice, double dipping. here did he give her? He never gave her a dime. She's saying I'm waving my rights. I'm forgiving you. So we say, listen, if he guarded the receipt, is good. If not, he committed, he's obligated to give 200. What's the worst thing that could happen? He loses the receipt and he has to pay 200. Let him pay because she, he never got, she never got 100. She's just being very nice. I'm waiving my rights for half of it. She never got a penny. It's just as if she got it. So we don't care. We're not going to worry about you. Oh, you may lose the receipt. You lose the receipt. Pay her the full 200. Because you owe her the 200. She was nice enough to forgive you. Mm-hmm. So if you really care, watch your receipt. And if not, pay the full price. And if not, it's his problem. He brought the loss on himself. You're such a slumil. She waived the rights. You didn't have to pay a dime. You don't, you, you don't take care of yourself. You have such an opportunity. You don't take care of yourself. We're not going to worry about you. But here we're worried because he paid. He actually paid. The borrower paid the paid part of the debt, and now you're going to come. You're going to you know play shenanigans, and now you're going to demand the whole thing because he lost his receipt. So here we have to protect him. Here we don't have to protect him. You might ask. Abaya doesn't want to learn like Abirmiya because like Tony Shavartimitoycha. It should have said. It should have said that Rabbi Yehuda is in the mission. Rabbi Yehuda is talking about. You have to write the receipt in the ksuva. He doesn't mention that. A, a, a minor detail. This is an essential piece of information that the shaver only when the shaver that shaver has to be written to protect the husband. He doesn't say that. That's why Abaya learns. No, the shaver is a regular receipt, separate from the ksuv. my time Why doesn't Abiyir say Abaya? It's a logical distinction. Why does Abiyir have to say? Is forced to say? We're talking about he wrote the receipt in the ksuv. It's no question. It's a, it's, a, it's a different case. Our case is different than there. There, we actually paid, so we have to protect the borrower. He paid part of the debt, so we have to protect him. But here, why do we have to protect the husband? He's given a gift. 
he's a shlomi, he doesn't, he's, he's negligent about such a gift, we should worry about him. It's like, it's like you, you know, you're responsible, you lost, you lost out, We're not gonna, we have no reason to protect him, why should we rip up the ksuba and write on the ksuba? Just, just why, keep an eye on the shaver if you really... See, what answers... Because Rabbi hold that it has to be in general. It has to be a simple, keep it simple. It has to be a general, consistent rule. You write a receipt, or you don't write a receipt. You rip up the shtar, you don't rip up the shtar. People are not going to make a distinction. Not everyone is such a Talmud Chacham, is such a clever, sophisticated <laughs> thinker that he can make a distinction and say, well, this case, yes, this case, not. He just knows, simple. Blanket rule. Blanket rule. You keep the receipt, you don't keep the receipt. Since every hold that you always, you don't write a receipt, you rip up the original document. So if you're over here, you're going to write a receipt, they can say, you know what, in the case of a loan, I was to write a receipt. They won't, they won't distinguish. That's why he says, so therefore he says, if the receipt is not written in the ksuva, indeed, there's no receipt. You have to rip up the ksuva and write a new ksuva. Here, he says, you don't have to write a new ksuva because the receipt is written in the ksuva. The, the reason why Rabbi Huda says that the ksuva, you can, you can minimize you can minimize the amount of the ksuva by her writing, it's only because she writes she writes that I'm waiving my right for half of the ksuva as if I received a hundred or in the case of the ksuva of a hundred I received fifty she says it orally the reduction would not take effect am I, why it's a financial matter. Financial matters. Any condition that you make, even if it's oral, it stands. Seem to appear as if I'm going against the Torah. Torah says she has to get 200 zoos. And here she's saying, no, only 100. So you're going against the Torah. You can't go against the Torah. Even financial matter, you can't go against the Torah. If you write it down, it doesn't appear I'm going against the Torah. It appears as if she's saying, as if I received 100. I'm waving 100, so as if I received it. So it's written. It's, it's, she's writing a receipt, as if she got already 100. So I'm taking it seriously. I'm saying, if the Torah, there's an obligation to give 200. But it's as if I received already half of it. Okay? But if she just says orally, it's like making a condition, and she says orally that, that you know, only 100. The Torah says 200, and she's saying 100. How could her condition go against the Torah? But the question is, Rabbi Huda holds that when it comes to financial matters, you could make a condition that goes against the Torah. The Tanya, we learn in the Baraisa, says to a woman, on the condition that I don't have the biblical obligation. When you marry a woman, there's three biblical obligations. That we learned earlier that he has to feed her, he has to clothe her, and he has to, he has to be intimate. He has to make sure she's happy physically. So if a person says, I'm marrying you with the condition, I'm free from all these, on the condition I'm free from all these obligations. It's a good marriage with no bottle, and his condition is, is null and void. He can't go against the Torah. David Rabmeir, opinion Rabmeir. Good David Rabmeir argues. He says no. It depends. He makes a distinction. When it comes to clothing and food, which is a financial obligation, yes, a person could override and say, I'm, you, can, "You know, I'm going against the Torah." But when it comes to physical conjugal rights and a physical pleasure, which the Torah obligates you there, you don't have a right. 
to go against the Torah. Then he agrees with that man. So in our case, it's a question of money. The financial commitment of the Ksuba, the two hundred zuz, is just a question of money. So why can't she make an oral condition and say, you know, on the condition, I'm marrying you, on the condition that you don't have to give me two hundred. A hundred is enough. Sigmar answers, Ksuba Rabbi Huda, Ksuba Rabbanan, Rabbi Huda holds that Ksuba is only rabbinic. There's no biblical obligation to write a Ksuba. We find many times it doesn't say anything. You don't have to give any ksuv. You don't have to give anything. So, but the rabbis strengthen something that's rabbinic, which is inherently weaker than the Torah. People won't take it as seriously. The rabbis made it stronger. You need. You have to strengthen it, solidify it. So over here, so the rabbi said that even though when it comes to matters of Torah, clear obligations when it comes to matters it's written in the Torah, a person could forgive. You can make a condition. I'm marrying a condition. I don't have to feed you. I don't have to clothe you. Conjugal rights, yes. But so, but that, yeah, that you could make a condition. But when it comes to the ksuva, since it's rabbinic, the rabbi said a condition doesn't help. So oral condition that she waves her rights doesn't help unless it's written. The husband's right to her earnings. The earnings of her property is only rabbinic. And we don't find the rabbis strengthen it. It's not because we learned in the Mishnah later on in the tractate. Rabbi Deimarabuda says, you can always eat the fruits of the fruits. That I have no right or claim to your property or its produce or the produce of the produce forever. In other words, a person could write, he gives up his rights to his wife's property. So for Abhuda says, if he says, that I'm giving up the right of the fruits of the property, the earnings of the property. So you only waive the rights from that earnings. But then, so the earnings go to her. What do you do with that earnings? You buy other property, right? The dividends you keep on accumulating, so you buy more. Now he can earn the, the, the rights of the, of the fruits, the produce of the produce. He, he only said he's giving up the rights of the immediate produce. But the produce of the produce... That he never gave up the right, unless he spells out he's giving up the rights forever and ever. So we see that he does, even though it's only rabbinic, he does have the option of, of giving up his rights. And you don't say that he's going against the Torah of a Kaimelon. And we have established, we continue on side B, 56B. And we establish, my what do you mean he writes? He says, he doesn't have to write, even if he says orally, it's also good enough. If he says orally, that. If he says orally, that. Um, that he's going against, even though he's going against against the rabbinic enactment, nevertheless it's valid. So Rabbi answers, there's a difference. Every woman has a ksuva. It's an obligation. You're not allowed to be married. You can't be married unless you have a ksuva. Not every woman brings, brings property into the marriage and, and income producing uh, property. So therefore, milsa the shechicha of the run Something that's common, the rabbis made, made the, that they strengthen it. 
But something that's not common. The rabbis didn't have to, didn't make a special, didn't have to strengthen it. What about the case of a donkey driver? In the case of the Mai. The Mai is the rabbis enacted that when you buy produce, when you buy produce from, uh, from uh, an ignoramus, you have to assume that he didn't eat. You have to assume that he didn't tithe it. And, and therefore... Uh, so the rabbi said in the case of the donkey drivers who are, who are moving, transporting, and selling this produce, which is common, we love the Rabbanachizuk, and the rabbis did not strengthen their enactment. If not, we learned in the Mishnah, in the Mayan, tracted the Mayan. If donkey drivers enter the city, and one of them said about the produce they were bringing, mine is new, you're not allowed to eat from it. But my friend is old, and therefore was already past the Oymer. And anything that was already grown before the oimer, and then you bring the oimer, you're allowed to eat from it. But anything new, you're not allowed to eat from it till the following year, till 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 the oimer. So he says, mine you're not allowed to eat from, but my friend is shali einim He says, my produce is not tithe. My friends is all tithe, good to go. Einim you're not believe. Today, my Buddha says, we are believed. Why aren't they believed? So he says, you would think that usually you don't believe uh, it's untrustworthy, an untrained person. Yeah, it's untrustworthy. But here, he's incriminating himself. He's harming himself. And yet he's testifying to his friend. You would think in this case, he must be honest. He must be telling the truth. He's such an honest person. He must be telling the truth. But nevertheless, the rabbi said, you know what, maybe the whole thing is a charade. The acting in collusion. We'll come to this town and I'll say, mine is no good, buy his. And then we'll come to the other town, he'll say the, he'll say the same thing. So, you know, it's like a partnership. Rebuda says, Rebuda says, they are believed. So, so what we learned earlier, Rabbi Huda says, when it comes to biblical matters, even Rabbi Huda agrees that we don't, they're not trustworthy, that maybe it's a charade. Since the, but since it's the Mai, the Mai is only a question, it's only rabbinic, so the voice says he can be lenient, you know, we can trust him. But according, if you're saying Rabbi Huda holds in principle, anything that's rabbinic, you have to strengthen, on the contrary. You have to treat it even more stricter than, uh, yeah, than, than, more stringent than something that's biblical, because it needs strengthening. Yeah. So here, why does Rabbi Huda say it's rabbinic, we were lenient? So Rabbi answers, if it's something with certainty, like in our case of Ksuva, which is a certain thing, there the rabbis say you have to strengthen anything that's rabbinic. Suffolk the Devereyim. Something that's only out of doubt. The rabbis and actually the is I don't know, it's out of doubt that most people do tithe. But since we're not 100% certain, so something that's out of doubt, the rabbis didn't have to strengthen it. That's our by answers. Rav Ahmed, Rav answers, with Mayakil. Comes to the Maya, the rabbis will lead it. Because 
because he's in other words, Rabbi argues with Abayi. Really, the rabbis would strengthen their words even if it's if it's uncertainty, even more than biblical laws. But the Maya, however, it's less than an uncertainty. It's like a stringency because the majority of Amalatzim of ignorant people did type. And the title says, follow the majority. It's, it's a stringency. The rabbis say, you want to be 100% certain. So in the case of the Mai, it's a unique case. It's, it's a class on its own. Okay. Next, next, it says in the Mishnah, and Amir says, that anyone who waves or writes, if a virgin waves or writes to the Ksuba, she says, I got already half, 100. Or, or if the widow, the non-virgin, waves or writes and says, I got 50 of the 100, you're not allowed to live together. You can't go less than 200 for a virgin and 100 for a virgin. Rabbeir says, anyone who reduces, even if you make a condition. It's not only that she, she doesn't get the 200, the virgin doesn't get the 200, or if the non-virgin doesn't get the 200. Just the mere fact that he, she makes such a condition, it's already, it's not a kosher marriage. Yeah, yeah, because she, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't, has no confidence. She doesn't have confidence. And therefore she doesn't have confidence that she's going to get the 200, or she's going to get the 100. Um, since the husband made such a condition, I'm marrying him the condition, I don't have to give you 200, only 100. So even if the court, is not enough that the rabbis say it doesn't matter, you have to pay her 200. That's not enough. The fact that he made such a condition, so she doesn't have confidence in him. She doesn't value him. I mean, he, he doesn't value her, and she doesn't have confidence. So therefore, it's not a valid, it's not good, they can't live together. She has to be, when she's intimate with him, she has to be confident that she's going to get the full 200. So, Alma, what do we see? We see that a mayor holds that the, the, the condition is void and she still gets 200. The problem here is not that she's not going to get the 200. She's going to get the 200. And he, and she's in, or the 100 if she's a non-version. That's not what's worrying us. What's worrying us is that she, she, she doesn't rely on it. When she's intimate with him, she doesn't rely that she's going to get the 200 because he made a condition not. She's not sure if she's going to get the 100. The fact that she's not sure, that alone is reason enough that the intimacy is considered like uh, they're being promiscuous. So therefore, the intimacy is like an act of uh, an act of promiscuity. But we heard that mayor says, anyone who makes a stipulation that goes against what the tater obligates you, it's void, even when it comes to financial matters. The three obligations that husband is obligated to his wife when he marries her, to feed her and to clothe her. He can't make a condition, I'm marrying you on the condition that I don't have to feed you and clothe you. And if he does, it's, it's null and void. But when it comes to rabbinic enactments, he could make a condition. So if a ksuva is rabbinic, why, according to that mayor, can't the husband make a condition? I'm marrying on the condition I don't have to pay you the full ksuva. 
The Rav Meir only says when it comes to biblical things, a condition cannot override a biblical obligation, even financial uh, obligation. If it's biblical, but a ksuva is not biblical, so you might answer, ksuva Rav Meir, ksuva that I say, Meir holds, ksuva is biblical. So that's an argument in Rav Meir and Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda holds, ksuva is rabbinic, and the Meir holds that ksuva is biblical. So therefore, you're making a condition on a financial obligation that's biblical. Condition of financial obligation, this biblical does not help. Even though Rabbi Meir just mentions the case of Shedak Susavina, so that once you marry the husband cannot make a condition that he's not obligated to feed her and to clothe her, to be intimate with her, conjugal rights. Why doesn't he also say he cannot make an obli- he cannot make a condition that he's exempt of the Ksuva? But he goes once he teaches us the principle that you cannot make a condition that overrides a biblical financial obligation, I already know the ksuva is included as well, because the ksuva is also biblical. says anyone whose ksuva for a virgin is less than the minimum 200. Or a non-virgin, a minimum hundred, it's the, uh, the intimacy is, is promiscuous. It's not a culture intimacy. Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Yaisi says, Rashoi, you're allowed. You couldn't make a stipulation. You can make any condition. You can reduce the ksuvah. If he wants to, he can write for a virgin a contract of 200. I'm waiving my rights as if I received half. And he can write for the non virgin 100. As if I accept it. So we have a three way argument. Rabbi Yaisi says that even an oral condition is enough. She doesn't have to write anything. She can just tell him right off. He can just tell him right off. And he, or he can make a condition. I'm marrying you the condition. I'm, only gonna, I'm not going to give you any ksuvah. I'm going to give you a hundred. Fine. Rabbi, Rabbi Yaisi says no. She has to write. Put it in writing. She's waving the rights as if I received that. So you might ask me, Rabbi Yaisi says it's allowed? Just an oral condition is allowed? What do you mean? No, we learned it. But I said, In Isaac's You can't designate payment for the ksuva, movable items. Why? For the benefit of society. The movables can't be designated as payment for the ksuva because they're going to be lost. She has no confidence in it. You're going to lose it. You know, when she becomes a widow, one day she's divorced. He's putting away movable items today. 50 years from now, you know, she'll be able to collect it then. She has no confidence in it. What benefit of society is there in this? Well, ain't suvin. Isn't not that movable items are not fixed in value? And they can diminish? Notice he's explaining why it goes against, why it's not, it doesn't benefit society. Because the ksuv is not secured. Because the price constantly shifts, it's constantly, it's a moving target. They can increase in value, they can decrease in value. You have inflation, you have depression. We went through all the cycles. 
You know, in the 80s we had, remember, inflation was like 20%, and now we're, we're heading back in the same direction. And then we had the, the deflation. So how could she be confident? How can you set aside movable items? Today gold goes up, the next day it crashes. Remember oil was worth a zero? Two years ago, it went down to zero. Now it's over 100, what? It's, it's, uh, Hashem is not making more land, so, <laughs> so, it's forever. I would rather take karka in the long term. I know I have it. My family has it. My children will have it. It's in the family. It's worth it. It's going to, you know, the value is not going anywhere. So karka is not going anywhere. It's not moving anywhere. Today, tomorrow, all the slumlords in Brooklyn all became billionaires. <laughs> you know? As, what's Rabbi Yossi adding to the Tanakama? Tanakama, not me, Nathan Kammer. Tanakama also agrees with Rabbi Yossi that you're not allowed to set aside uh, movable items to pay for Ksuva. Well, what's Rabbi Yossi adding? El Olav, surely this is what Rabbi Yossi is saying. When do we say... That the husband cannot designate a movable item to pay the ksuba if he doesn't if he doesn't accept responsibility if they are lost or stolen. If he takes responsibility if he lost or stolen, then she has confidence. What she care? He commits. You're going to pay from this, and if it's lost or stolen, then my my everything I own is is mortgageable to pay to pay this ksuba. Rabbi comes to say that even if he accepts responsibility for the lost, nevertheless, we don't, it's not acceptable. We don't allow this to be designated. Why? Because because fixed items, movable items have no fixed value, and they can also diminish. So even if he accepts responsibility for their laws, the ksuva is not secure. She has no confidence because the movable items that he set aside, the value today it could be worth a lot and tomorrow it could be worthless. So, so even if, yes, if it's lost or stolen, fine, you'll, you'll pay me the ksuva. But you're telling me I'm paying from these items. Maybe by the time I come to collect the ksuva, these movable items will be worthless. Mm-hmm. You know, like this telegraph, right? We clarify the price and now the Gemara is asking, we're just worried. Maybe, maybe the movable items will, will diminish in value. Chayish is concerned. And therefore he prohibits you not allowed to designate movable items as payment for the ksuva. Hocha, the vadika Here, in our case, for sure, reducing the ksuva, it's not a question. He's reducing the ksuva. Like again, how much more so that Rabbi Yesi wouldn't allow it. Here, it's only a doubt. Maybe the financial, the movable items will be diminished in price. Therefore, it's not a kosher ksuva. Here, when he's definitely saying, I'm giving you less than, 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 than 200, I'm only going to give you 100. How can Rabbi Yesi say that, that, that it's a kosher ksuva, that it's okay, it's a good marriage? How could you compare the two? Here, she doesn't know that it's going to diminish in value. So she thinks she's getting the full 200. You yeah. promised 200. And it turns out at the end it's not going to be 200. But here he's saying openly, I'm marrying you in the condition I don't have to give you 200. I don't have to give you 100. And she accepts. I, want to, I love you. I don't care about the money. So then it's no problem. Right. Right. Up over here, we continue. Everyone have a wonderful day.